Amen. Sit down. Praise God. Praise God. Are you ready for the word? Are you ready for the word? All right. So, um, yesterday we didn't finish. I didn't finish what I was sharing with you. So, I sort of going to continue from that. Then we sort of take it to another step of what we want to learn today. The ministry of the spirit or the fellowship of the anointed. Anyone you want to call it. Amen. Praise. Have you been, has it been a great uh, two days so far? Huh? Are you sure? We have received instructions, right? Right? Revelation, right? Direction has come to art. All right. So Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 16. Let's read from there. He says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, in the previous days, we have looked at Christ, right? Amen? Amen? And we have looked at Christ from the point of Christ is called the anointed, right? And we have said that the anointed is an office, right? It, right? Good. Now, what are the three offices in the anointed? Number one, was it? Priest. Number two, prophet. Number three, kings. So, now, you know, we also said that the oil is symbolic. Can you remember? That what matters is the spirit of God. Right? So, it means that when we say somebody is anointed, we are saying that person has the spirit of God. Right? That's the most important thing. When the person has the spirit of God, the person can operate in the prophetic, right? He's also a priest. A priest means he's a servant, right? A messenger, right? When, he, when we now say he's a king, it means that he has authority. Are you following? That's what is in our office. Praise God. Praise God. So we, have, we moved on. We moved away from that. Then we began to look at the other part of Peter's confession, where he says, Thou art the Son of the living God. Now, that led us to begin to examine what does the Son of the living God mean. And remember, we said that the Bible material of the apostles and Jesus is the Old Testament text, right? Remember that. So that means that the reason why, some of you also may be very confused that, okay, we talk, we're talking about the son of the living God. Why did we begin to talk about son and other sons of God? Well, we did that because in the material that these men were using, you will find out that there are other sons of God. So it needs to be explained. Do you understand? So that's why we went there. And yesterday, we saw that the other sons of God, right, are sons of God who were capable of either obeying or disobeying. You know, we saw that. But the, what we saw is that we saw certain sons of God who disobeyed. Right? And we now saw that Paul codified it as principalities and powers. Now, we wonder, okay, why did Paul say principalities and powers? Because we now saw in Deuteronomy 32 that these sons of God were given territories that is on the earth. 
to take over. So Paul will codify it to mean that because when you say principalities and powers, that means they are in charge of something, right? So that means that these beings, right, God gave them something to be in charge of. Now, one of the things that God gave them to be in charge of is that they should be in charge of man, to hate man, to help man, right? But the Bible says that they left that responsibility. Now, I now showed you an example of such being. Now, let me just quickly say it. Genesis chapter 3, right? Somebody asked me that question. That, okay, is Genesis chapter 3, is, is it that, is it not said, is, is the devil that is there, okay? Genesis 3 is the devil, but the devil was a being like that. Amen? Are you following? The devil was a being, was one of those supernatural beings. Are you following? So Genesis 3 is talking about him. But Moses typified him, right, as a serpent, which is what? A nakash, an enchanted, a being of divination. It is to tell you the kind, the makeup of this person, of this being. Are you getting what I'm saying? So Genesis 3 is Satan. Well, we've been able to, let's use the word devil, right? So you know what, because you know, we changed the word, Satan is not a proper name. Can you remember that? So the devil was in Genesis 3, right? Now, I showed you something in that Genesis 3 that the deception, right, of the evil one, of Satan there, was to make man like them. It's very important. Because why is that the case? Because I told you, for everything God intended, the Satan will contradict. It will do, it will do the exact opposite. Because he will also want to create his own kind. Right? And I showed you from Genesis 3. I went to Genesis 11, right? And we saw it in Genesis 12. Genesis 11 shows that man wanted to make a name for himself. God's plan on the earth is that he will make his own name great through Abraham. Right? So we see that in Genesis 12 when God was making that promise. So there's a counter narrative that Satan, right, will want to make against the plan of God. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, that led us to end yesterday with this, right? That led us to end yesterday with that. The Son of God, Jesus Christ now, right? The, we are found in that Son, right? And because we are found in Him, that Son is raised above what? Principalities and what? Powers, right? That is, is raised above these sons of God. Which means that by that authority, the believer has a right, right, to push back the forces of darkness, right? He has a right to stop their adversaries. Sorry, their advancement. That's what I meant to say. Are you following? Are you following, guys? So, that means that by looking at Jesus Christ as the Son of God that we are found in, we also have authority over what? Principalities and powers. Do you get this? This is why I took us to Hebrews chapter 2. That was the last text. That he is raised above. He's seated above, right? So we also are in that position. Amen. Amen. So let us go on. I just did. Is that, was that a good recap? Okay. <laughs> they said that as a Bible teacher, for every, if you want to start again a new topic, you have to do small recap. Amen. Praise God. So, so let us continue to examine 
the concept of the sons of son of God, right? Amen. By Peter's confession. Now, <clears throat> so <clears throat> now, now, if you read the scriptures, there's a there's a text that may in the synoptic, which I'm going to show you, that may seem contradictory. With the idea that there are other sons of God, right? And that is John chapter 1. I just want to show you that. Just to see that. So we explain that. John chapter 1. Just go there. <clears throat> so remember, we have sons of God which are supernatural beings, right? We call them Elohims. Can you remember? Please hold that. It's very important. So go to John 1 and let's just see something there as we continue this study. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1, um, today I'm going to be repeating a lot of things, uh, one for the purpose of emphasis, secondly for the purpose of clarity, okay? So bear with me, if you say, oh, I've written that before, just write it again. <laughs> John 1, so he says, no man, right, has seen, no, 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 no. Oh, let's read 14. 14 is better. So, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, and we beheld. So he says, He says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he says, Jesus is the only begotten of God. So, oh, you say, oh, okay. Well, how come you are saying there are other sons of God? When the Bible says Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, right? So it, it, it's contradictory, does it? Okay, so, so we're going to examine what that means shortly. Now look at verse 18. Look at verse, verse 18. In verse 18, it says, No man had seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, right, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So now, just reading this text, right, there are two things that will be very contradictory if we don't, if we're not careful. He says, no one has seen God and it's only Jesus, right? So that means that it will appear that the only person that has seen God is Jesus. Would that be correct? Remember, I told you that God or Jesus, who is God, is an active participant in the Old Testament. So did men in the Old Testament say they've seen God face to face? Eh? Did they say that? You know, back then, we're a bit correct then, but we're not, we're not correct now. We have grown. You understand? We used to say that, no, they didn't know what they were talking about. How can you say they don't? They are intelligent too now. If they say they saw God, they actually did. Amen? Praise God. Don't worry, we'll look at that. So, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> so look at <clears throat> something here. So let's examine this statement first. Let's examine this statement, verse 17. From verse 17, it says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Then verse 18 now says, No man had seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is, of the, which is in the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. What I want you to know here is that John, 
is writing this from Moses' writing. Amen? John is writing this statement from Moses' writing. And I'm going to show you. Right? Because verse 17 and 18 looks contradictory to say that when he says, the law was given by Moses, grace and truth came by, like, as though what Moses gave, right, is different from what Jesus brought. No. Moses preached grace and truth. Are you following? So, John is teaching for Moses. Now, <clears throat> so, yet there is no contrast in this place. There's no contrast here. Go to Exodus 34. Let's see where John is quoting from. Exodus 34. Exodus chapter 34. So that statement, grace and truth came by Jesus, right? Is taken from here. Exodus 34, verse 6. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. It says, And the Lord passed before passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, and God, merciful and what? Long suffering and what? And abundance in goodness and does that look like John 1? Huh? Please show them John 1 again so that they see that I'm not lying. John 1, no, no. John 1, 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So go back to Exodus again. Exodus 34. So he says, so he says, the Lord God, the Lord God, who is he? He is what? Merciful, he's gracious, long-suffering, Abundance in goodness and truth. Are you seeing grace and truth here? Or you don't see anything called grace in this reading? There's mercy there. Mercy is grace. There's graciousness. Graciousness is grace. Long-suffering. John, you know, write that one. Because it's part of grace. Uh, you don't know long-suffering. but The Bible says the long-suffering of God. Eh? Abby? It's gracious. Abundant in goodness and truth. Truth is there. Truth is here. Amen? Is, this, is it the same? Did Moses say that Jesus is gracious and God? <coughs> Did Moses say that God is gracious? Amen? Okay, so let's go on. So, so John, is John quoting Moses therefore? Right? So if John is quoting Moses, like how we examine Paul, right? In Romans 10, can you remember? It cannot be contradictory. Amen? Good. So, John is quoting Moses and he's telling us that the Lord God right, that passed before Moses is who? Is who? Is Jesus. Well, how do we know that is Jesus? Jesus? John just wrote that grace and truth came by Jesus. Are you saying that? This again tells you that the God of the Old Testament is Jesus. Any faith that denies the deity of Christ is antichrist. Whether they put evangelical Jesus ministry, if they say Jesus is not God, is an antichrist. Jesus is God. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. So, so when he says in verse 17, the law came by Moses, right? What is the law that came by Moses? The next phrase, grace and truth that came by Jesus. Amen? Amen? That is the law. Remember, I know that in Genesis to Deuteronomy, there is another kind of law. 
right? But that law is not for the new creation, amen. Or it's not, let's, okay, let's take away new creation. It's not for people of faith, right? Moses gave, we saw that law as an accusation. Can you remember? Okay, so but what John is teaching here, when he says for the law was given by Moses, it is not that but can be, can be changed to, for the law was given by Moses, which is grace and truth by Jesus Christ. Because it is not a contrast. John is teaching from Exodus 34. Did you understand that? Okay, so, meaning that the writings of Moses speaks of the grace and truth which is in Jesus Christ. The writings of Moses speaks of the grace and truth which is in Jesus Christ. We are going to only be gotten so Just follow. Don't worry. We'll see it now. So, so from Exodus 34, let's go back to that please. Please. I know they're showing it here but also opening. It's important that you open it. Exodus. Is it Exodus 34 I said? It's Exodus 34, right? Huh? Okay, Exodus 34, yeah. So, in Exodus 34, notice verse 6. He says, what? And the Lord passed before him. So, did Moses see Jesus? We are doing this, we are teaching together. Did Moses see Jesus? Did Moses know Jesus? Did he know Jesus as a man? Eh? No. That one, that answer is no. Don't say yes. No. He did not know Jesus as a man. Okay? But did he know Jesus? Remember I told you, what is the, what is the promised God? The humanity of Christ. Remember? Eh? That was what was promised. Okay. So, so when he says, no man had seen God at any time. Right? When, when, when he now says, now, have, did we, have we seen that Jacob, no, Jacob said he saw Jesus. Right? Right? Please, I know in Exodus or Genesis, they say they saw God. God is Jesus. Praise God. You know, there was, an, there was a survey, I think they ran uh, last year, or maybe early this year. Christian survey by Christians. In that country, America, America, sir. They ran the survey, and his question was, is Jesus God? Something like that. And I, I'm telling you, almost to third of people, pastors, scholars, and in, they say that Jesus is not God. It's a tough, that's a tough thing, though. They just say he's, uh, he's a messenger or something. How can you read... And some people will go to that country and they will say that our own is too much. Our Abba. Praise God. One of the greatest shocker, this is a way for my study, but one of the greatest shocker for me is people, well, let me use Nigerian, because in Nigeria we pray about everything, so I don't know about other African countries. But people that pray, they pray for, to get visa. They'll come to church, they'll even sow seed. They'll pray, they'll do everything. They will not get the visa. They will not go to America. Just, they will just spend one year. Too much. Or six months. You just engage them about God. All the things we are praying in Africa is not need. God is, just, God is not important. They will just be saying that there is no God. How many months? They just stay there. Six months. You now ask them. Okay. 
there is no God. Before you came here, did you pray to God for the visa? See, it doesn't matter. Ah, don't. Did God not give you the visa? My point is, don't be. I used to tell some of my folks that don't be carried away with the culture of a place when you get there. You are coming with another culture, the culture of God's kingdom. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, so let's just go into this. So, you know, so this text may look contradictory when he says, No man had seen God at any time. And Jacob and Moses said they've seen God. Now, <clears throat> what John is saying here, he says, The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, had declared him. Which means this. First thing, this is the first thing I wish to write. Which means that the visible God, right? That appearance that happened in the Old Testament is Jesus. That's the first thing we should note. That's Jesus. The next thing that is important here is that this is explaining the incarnation. What does incarnation mean? God became a man. That's what incarnation means. Please, I didn't say reincarnation. No. In, incarnation. Okay? Incarnation. Okay. Now, but that does not really give us the right, in, I mean, give us a detailed interpretation. So let's examine that interpretation closely. <clears throat> John 1 again. Please go there. John 1. So when he says, when he says that the only begotten son of the father, it lays credence to the fact that when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at the Old Testament, the appearance of God in the Old Testament is Christ Jesus. That appearance. That appearance is Christ Jesus. So he's talking about, so in John 1, 18, he's now saying that we can now see those appearance, right? In the Old Testament, we can now see those appearance physically. Are you following? We can see that appearance physically. For example, go to John Genesis 15. Genesis 15. So write this down, please. That Jesus is from the beginning. Jesus is from the beginning. Now, since he's from the beginning, would he be able to explain himself from the beginning? Very good. So he's from the beginning. So, now I said Genesis 15, right? Genesis chapter 15. Let's go there quickly. Genesis 15, verse 1. Genesis 15, 1. Now, I want you to see something here. And I want you to pay attention to the words. He said, after these things, the word of the Lord came to where? To Abraham. When he says the word of the Lord, I want you to know that the word of the Lord is not a voice. The word of the Lord is not a voice. Say, how do we know? John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh. Amen? So the word of the Lord is not a voice. He is a person. He said, why? 
Look at what he says. He says, came unto Abraham in a vision saying, fear not, Abraham. I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. So, that is, that, that is not a voice because that being is talking. He's talking. That it's not just a voice. It's somebody is talking to Abraham. Are you following? So he's talking and he's showing him things. Right? He's showing him things. Let's look. I guess you'll get it better in another place. First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 3. First Samuel 3. First Samuel 3. First Samuel 3. Okay, you know what? Before we go to First Samuel 3, let me show you one that makes sense. Let's go back to Genesis. Genesis, Genesis um, 3, after man fell. Genesis 3, go there. Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 8. I want you to see it. And I'm going to ask you, in verse 8, what is... Just the first. So, if you are using KJV, the first 10 words. What is word in the first 10 words? Something is word in that first 10 words. Look at it. Huh? Walking. Can a voice walk? Amen? Have you ever, are you seeing my voice walking now? No, if you can see it. Ah. You are, you must be a greater prophet. <laughs> so he says, and and I hear, and they heard the voice of the Lord God what walking. So this is a person, amen. Somebody is walking, and as he's walking, he is talking, right? Amen. Okay. So First Samuel. Now go to First Samuel. Now have we identified the person? Who is he? Jews. Very good. So. 1 Samuel 3. Go to 1 Samuel 3. 1 Samuel 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. He says, and the Lord, what? And, and stood. The Lord came and did what? And stood. You see that? He said, and stood before him. It stood before him. He said, and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, then Samuel answered, speak for thy servant yet. So the word of the Lord came and stood. Can that be a voice? Can that be a voice? That's a person. Amen? That's a person. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Pastor was teaching us that the way scriptures the way you build um, evidence is that you build it from a corroboration, right? I got it. I was listening. So, <laughs> thank you, sir. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. So, how many texts have we seen now? About three, right? Huh? Three. Look at Jeremiah now. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9. He says, then the Lord put forth his hand and did what? And what? Touch my mouth. I mean, if somebody touch your mouth, you will know that somebody has touched your mouth. I, I, I mean, that means person has hand. Praise God. So, 
Very important. He says, and the word of the Lord, the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I, I have put my words in thy mouth. So the word of the Lord touched his mouth. So write this down. The word of the Lord in all these texts that we have read refers to the personal, visible appearance of God. I'll say that again. The word of the Lord in all the texts we have just read refers to the personal, visible appearance of God. And that is Jesus. That is Jesus. That is Jesus. Remember yesterday, I told you that in reading the Bible, one of the contexts you must take in view is the supernatural context. Right? All of these experiences that we are just reading, they are supernatural. Right? Right? So it becomes impossible. It becomes impossible to have the ministry of Jesus that is not supernatural. It's a huge contradiction. Amen? There is a supernatural, in fact, I wanted to say there's a supernatural element. No. The Christianity is supernatural in nature. Praise God. Praise God. So, back to John 1. Why is he called only begotten? Why is he called only begotten? Now, I'm going to read some facts here that, that is embedded in church history. And of course, you may not have that in your Bible now because of what I want to say. Because it probably may have changed. Now, um, many, many Bible, I just want to read it. Many Bible theologians agree on something that this phrase, only begotten, right, son of God, has been the, one of the most misunderstood phrases for the last thousand years. And this is because of, there was a wrong word that was used to construct it. Now, of course, the recent KJVs and other translations have changed it. Now, what it was called, this only begotten, before, in the way they translated only begotten, it was translated as monogenau, M-O-N-O-G-E-N-E-O. And it means to be born. Huh? That is the way it was translated before. Praise God. And this translation actually has led to um, a lot of cults. A lot of cults have been created by this translation. Because when you use monogenau, I'll tell you the right one. KJV has the right one now. When you use monogenau, you are saying that Jesus Christ was born like every other woman being and he began to exist for the first time in the womb of Mary. So that was a translation that, that, that they had before, right? But it has been changed now, right? Now, one of the, one of the, uh, maybe I can say it here, maybe take my mic off. One of the churches that held this, that I think they still do anyway, is what, call the church of 
the later day saints. How many of you know them? The church of the later day. I hope nobody loves So, eh? 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 It's not, yeah, pastor's right. It's not really a church, but you know, that's what they call themselves the church of the later day saints. And another church uh, is um, Jehovah Wickedness, sorry, Witness. Yeah. Uh, so, those, that church too. They believe in that. If you, if you really ask them, they don't even believe that Jesus is God. They don't know that Jesus is God. And if you even check their, their Bible, they've edited a lot of powerful things. Crazy guys. So, it's because they, one of the things that they adopted this statement, monogenal, that's where they got it from, that okay, Jesus cannot be God because uh, he was born like every other human being. You understand? And, you know, it is ascribed to him as maybe just a prophet. Some even go further to just say he's an angel and things like that. Angel in the sense that he's not God. When we say God is an angel, it's because he has a message. Oh. Amen. It's very important. So, so I mean, you know, what, what, what that means is that a wrong translation can produce so much, right? A wrong translation can... But a few years ago, I'm quoting somebody, praise God. I, did, I, don't, I didn't do this research. Amen. This is work of a theologian. That's my mentor. He said this. That a few years ago, it was discovered that the right word is not is not genau. Genau is what I spell genau. I hope you got wrote that spelling. M O N O G E N E O. That's monogen. But the right word is genis. G E N E S. Genis. G E N E S. If you have a Greek Bible on your phone, you, you, you're going to see that it's called genis now. Now genis. I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it very well, the way the Greek guys would pronounce it, but you understand it's G-E-N-E-S. Genesis. Genesis means unique. Unique. It has nothing to do with procreation. Praise God. It has nothing to do with procreation. Because, you see, if you say, if you say God gave birth to Jesus biologically, that means Jesus could not have been God. Right? Right? Um, in Turkey, there was a lady that I was talking to my flatmates, and she, the lady was, my flatmate was trying to preach to her about salvation, and because my family is a Christian, so obviously. So, <laughs> so the lady, and some of the things they, they say, they were saying to what they say in the mocks is that God cannot have a son. And the funny thing is that it was discovered that, or what she told them that they preach it in the sense that because they, they preach, oh, Islam, they preach, amen. They have a message and they preach it. They preach that God cannot have a son because God is not like a man who will have human desires. Right? Human desires, emotions, and things like that. So that's what they preach. So, so uh, he brought me into the conversation. So we began to share. So I now said that, we, so one of the things I said to her is, because uh, I, I just want to say, the way I preach when I'm doing evangelism, right? It's not the way I preach here. Yeah, there's an evangelistic message. So this is what I told the lady. I said that, do you believe God is all-powerful. Say yes. Of course. They believe God is powerful. I mean, not the same God, but they shall believe God is powerful. I said, do you believe God is all-knowing? 
said, yes. And I said that God definitely did not sleep, right, with Mary. It's, that's not what happened. And I said that, that the reason why we call Jesus the son of God is because man, I'm preaching the gospel, please. Man is lost under sin and death. Sometimes when I'm talking to people who are not born again, sometimes when I'm talking to people who are not born again, I don't use the word sin generally. I use the word selfishness, right? Selfishness. Selfishness, selfishness is also part of sin. It's a core component of sin. So I say selfishness, wickedness, evil. I said there's evil and corruption in the world. So how will God save man from wickedness and corruption in the world? How will he do it? And I said, in his all-powerfulness, right? In his all-powerfulness, he will come as a man in a womb. That's what it is. I said, what Christianity believes of Jesus becoming a man is a miracle. You know that thing is a miracle. It's not, it's a miracle. The virgin birth is a miracle. It cannot happen. So, it means that the virgin birth is tied to God's power. It's something he did. And I said to her that God did that so that Jesus Christ will not have, right, the same sinful flesh of the common man. She, she didn't say, but she was like, no, she's talking. She said, wow, wow. I said, yes. So when we say Jesus is the son of God, it's not, we're not telling you that God reproduced him. We're telling you that God appeared. And the means in which he did it is that he did it in the womb of a woman. Praise God. Do you follow? Are you getting what I'm saying? Huh? And that's what they teach in mocks. In mocks. They believe, so that's one of the reasons why it's, it's, it's Satan's deception. You understand? They don't think, because once, once you bring it to that point to them about the all-powerfulness of God, they believe that God can be that powerful to create something. If, if, they, say, if they say no, it's impossible, they believe that one of their prophets entered the tree and went. If you can believe that one, believe this one too. I don't believe that though. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Do you get the point I'm trying to make? Okay. So, the word only begotten. Let's come back here. The word only begotten is the word monogenes. It was used in verse 14 and 18. Monogenes, not monogenau. Old Greek translations use genau. If I have seen monogenau before, but I, uh, later, I think a lot of people have seen that it was wrong. So when you update maybe the application, they change it for you there. Monogenes. So, so let's read verse 14 properly in verse 14. Let's read John 1, 14 properly. He says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the unique only from God. Jonathan. Amen. Or somebody that knows how to speak English, can you put me better? That's how I wrote it here. That, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the unique only from God. That is, this person we are seeing is from God and is unique. He is different. 
That is what monogenes deals with. The word genes. So let's go back to yesterday about sons of God, right? Those sons of Elohim. So in other words, we are saying that Jesus is different from other sons of God. Amen? He's different from other sons of God. This one, listen. Now, let's remember. Sons of God, were they created? El the Elohims, were they created? So, what will make the Elohim different from the Son of God? He wasn't created. It is his God himself. Do you follow? Good. Okay. So, 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 so when we say only begotten, monogenes, means the only unique son, which means he's standing out. He stands out. Are you, are you get? He stands, he's different. So, does the writings in Hebrew make sense when he says he is the express image of the father. The word express image is the word character, exact, perfect imprint. Perfect imprint of the father. Of the father. So verse 4 of that Hebrews, when he says, he says, being made so much better than the, now, you know, we have, you know what, we have understand what that angels will mean now, right? It's not just anything. It's talking about the sons of Elohim, right? So he says, Jesus is made better than them. Now, better than them in what regard? Number one, he has been given an excellent name. Number two, this is God himself. Are you following? Okay. So. <clears throat> so. So, let's, let, me, let me explain that Hebrews clearly, because I know yesterday I sort of rushed it. So, please go there. Hebrews, I was trying to rush it again. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. My mentor says this a lot, that um, when you understand the gospel, it's... And I will not lie, it has, because it has been a blessing to me, because especially the study of the Old Testament, when I listen to him, I, I used to say, let me just tell you this. Um, Pastor Cousin was saying something like, like that. Uh, uh, you may be wondering, you know, how maybe I know this much, I'm a young man. The truth of the matter is that I listen. Amen? I hear God's word. The first place of study is hearing. You can't study the Bible by yourself. Don't let anybody deceive you. No, no God for yourself. It's not true. It's not true. It's a lie. God, that means he's Satan. He wants to put you in isolation. And once he puts you in isolation, he has finished you. Amen? Protect your relationship. So, that is, so, if Satan wants to begin to undo a believer, you will first cut him off from people that you understand? Me like this now, I'm going to face judgment soon. <laughs> they know. <laughs> okay. So, but if God wants to protect you, <laughs> amen? If God wants to protect you, he puts you in relationships. People that will say, Kai, don't do that. Don't be angry when your pastor shouts at you. 
He said, how can he be talking to me like that? Why can't he talk? Don't let social media. They are lying, yo. Okay. So he's supposed to speak to me. In a, why? Why he speak to you like that? There's a story of uh, Pastor Naika. He, he rebooked. That's my mentor's name. He rebooked a, a lady. The lady now started crying. This thing touched the girl. She was crying. That's how one nonsense brother. I want to form. Uh, I'm cool. I'm, uh, uh, now came to meet the lady. Okay. Don't worry now. Don't mind him. The lady just looked up and said, you are mad. <laughs> <laughs> that lady is smart. <laughs> the, lady wants, the guy wants to farm. I'm your, I'm your soccer. I'm your savior. <laughs> the lady abused him. That's the girl that is wise. Because that person that is, is that's where you should say, Satan. <laughs> Amen. So protect your. I don't know how we got here anyway. Relationship. I don't know. But uh, what were we saying? Hebrews. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Amen. Hebrews one. Let's just explain that. Hebrews one. So uh, in Hebrews one, uh, verse four. Let's read verse four. It says, "Being made so much better than the angels, and he had by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they." Now, remember, we, we talked about this, right? The excellent name. And how we corroborated it with Philippians, Ephesians. Can you remember that? We did that. So, now, let's quickly go into verse... Uh, uh, write, write this down. I think this, this makes sense. That the KJV... Just write, write it down. It's just a note for your commentary. The KJV says angels, yeah. But the Hebrew would be sons of God, right? El, sons of Elohim, right? Sons of God. So, there is a distinction, right, of the Son of God, that's Jesus, from the sons of God. Did you get that? There is a distinction from the Son of God, that's Jesus Christ, God as God in man, right, from the sons of God. Amen? So, verse 13, let's go to verse 13 now. It says, but to which of the angels said ye at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool? Are they not all what? Ministering spirits sent forth to ministers for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Now, heirs of salvation is who? Man. Right? Man. Human beings. Right? So, these spirits were sent forth to provide now, I just want to say that it's not all of them that, you know, disobeyed, right? But some disobeyed. And, you know, <laughs> when I was talking with some of my friends, uh, you know, there's this idea in the body of Christ that one third, uh, or is it one third? Eh? One third. I may have not seen that one third anywhere in the Bible. I don't know where it is. They are using stars. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm not, we even checked it in Revelation. We did not see one third. But the point is, some fair, some did not fall. Amen. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who, where they are anyway. So, now, so Hebrews 13, 14 says, Are they not all ministry spirits sent for to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So, now, does this look like Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, where the nations were divided to them, right? Right? So, to be able to minister. Okay. So, 
So when we say use the word monogenes, not monogenal now, monogenes, it is to distinguish God, that's Jesus Christ, from the other Beni Elohim, sons of God. Right? So when we say he's the only begotten monogenes, we are saying this one is unique from the others. Amen? Mm-hmm. So, so, let's look at something. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Say, say this with me. I have authority over principalities and powers. I have dominion over the works of darkness. Amen. See, never be afraid, though. Never be afraid. Me and my friends, though this is, I'm not saying you should do it, sir, but some of my friends in Lagos, um, one of them is a pastor, he's in America now. Uh, but when we're doing NYC, um, Pastor Marcos had, I don't know if Pastor Marcos had left then, but when we're doing NYC, we used to play with the power of, don't do it, oh, it's just, we're just nonsense, we're just proud. So, uh, we used to stay in, I think they used to call one place prayer room or miracle room, I don't know. So that time in NYC, they do the crater room. So people that have sickness, disease, when we go for evangelism in the creeks, in the villages. You understand? So me and my friend will stay in that place. You understand? That's where that's what we that's what we want to do. We want to show power. You know? So we now stay there. That's how we stay in the morning, you know. We're casting out demons, that's how we now got tired. You understand? We just got tired. They now brought more people. Say, well, wait, we want to post the anointing. Let's go and eat. <laughs> what I'm just trying to tell you is that, look, God's spirit has been given to you. You can walk in it. Amen? Amen? I'm not, I'm not saying she puts the anointing on. I'm now, I'm no more proud. <laughs> Praise God. So Hebrews 11, let's just see a text that will speak of this uniqueness. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 17. Hebrews 11 verse 7. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his what? Only begotten son. The question is, was Isaac his only son? Good. But was Isaac unique? Very good. Why is Isaac unique? Isaac is unique because he is called the child of faith, the child of, of a miracle. Right? Uh-huh. Uh, what's the other guy's name? Ishmael? 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 I say Ishmael. <laughs> That's the Yoruba name. <laughs> am, I, Pastor, am, I, am I lying? <laughs> Ishmael, Ishmael, okay. So, Jesus, uh, so we call. <laughs> Alright. So, now, so we see that. Um, um, Isaac was the only unique son of God, right? Now, um, son of Abraham. Now, another unique son was Israel. Israel, the nation of Israel was also called the son of God, right? The nation of Israel. He says, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, he says, Israel is my son, my firstborn, right? Israel is my son, my firstborn. Now, Israel is unique in what sense? That God called them out. So that they will become ministers to the nations. Amen? 
So they will become ministers. That is, they will carry the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to other nations. So that's why they are unique. Are you following that? Okay. So, so, if you want to write the text down of what I said, Exodus 4.22, just put it there. So, now, but the nation of Israel, did they, did they fail? Good. Of course. Remember, we're not generalizing. Not all of them, but some of them failed, right? Remember? Amen? Okay. So, so, so Jesus is a unique son, a unique representation. Jesus is a unique son, a unique representation. Son means one who is your representation. You know, today, in today's world, son will mean somebody you gave birth to. That's today's English. But in the Bible days, son does not necessarily mean that. It can mean those you created. It can mean God himself. Did you get that? Huh? So, should I say that again? Son means one who is your representation, your representative. In today's world, son generally means somebody who is, you, you gave back to biologically, right? Right? Now, but in the Bible, in biblical language, it does not necessarily mean that, right? It means one who is created or the manifestation of God as a man. Praise God. Do you understand that Mary, um, um, the, the miracle of the virgin birth? Do you understand that? Huh? It's very important. So when you meet them, because that's what they know. I'm telling you, that's what they know. That's what they are teaching them. Do you understand? You get. If you argue with the music, God cannot. Let's leave that. That's not what I want to teach you. So, so son means one who is your representation, your representative. Now, the Benin Elohim, you know what that means now, right? The Benin Elohim, um, some of them, okay, I've said that before. Some of them were rebellious and some of them were not. So, now, go to Matthew 17. Let's see something there in Matthew chapter 17. So, in the Mount of, this Matthew 17 is the Mount of Transfiguration. In the Mount of Transfiguration, something happened. In the Mount of Transfiguration, in Matthew chapter 17, There's something I want to show you here that's so important. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. Matthew 17, verse 5. It says, Why yet speak? Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, yea, he him. Why did God, why, say, this is my beloved son, yea him. In the baptism of John, we hear the same thing, right? So he's saying that this is my unique son. Why is there such emphasis? The emphasis is not because God is saying, oh, I love him, is this, no, 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 no. The emphasis is that there, are, there were other sons, but this one hmm, is different. This one is unique. Do you understand? It is so important that you don't confuse. No, let me put it like this. The Bible writers, right? 
are letting you, they are showing us this distinction so that you don't confuse the Son of God, Jesus Christ, from these Benny Elohims. You don't put them in the same place. You may say, we know that we will not put them in the same place. You may not know. Because you may be reading the Bible one day and you may see sons of God and you may see Jesus is called the son of God and you may say, okay, maybe they are together. Do you understand? And all of a sudden, you'll be putting Jesus in the category of people who are rebellious. And he's the idea, you say he's the idea brother. Thank you. Amen? And before you know it, you form your own church. The group of the sons. <laughs> Do you understand? Yes, there's a relation now. You say, you, you say, we are the Benins of God. <laughs> yeah. Until you ascend, you cannot be a Benin. I like that word, ascend, because they use it a lot. <laughs> Amen. So th- you can see why we are making this distinction ourselves. Because we are reading through the Bible, and we have seen in reading through the Bible, there were people or beings who were called sons of God. And Jesus is also called the son of God. But God is saying, this is different. It's different because he is him. Amen? Uh, that sounds like a new um, slang. Of tw- he is him. I mean, you have not, not heard that before. He's him. You know it. Gen Z is out here. Yeah, I'm calling it. <laughs> so, so, Jesus is, so when he says, you are, so let's go back to you are the Christ now. So, so when he says you are the Christ, right? When he says you are the Christ, when he says you, it means that you are secret, right? You are different. You are the separated, unique son of the living God. How did we come up with that? We just went through Genesis to Malachi to see that. Amen? Amen. So when he says you are the Christ, the son of the living God, it means you are the sacred, different, sanctified. That is the word anointed together, right? Then it now goes for the unique son of the living God. So if that is the case, and is, is that where we are found? Good. So if that is the case, it means that we are going to bear the responsibility of God on the earth. We are going to carry out his mission on the earth perfectly. Perfectly. Let me give you an hint of this study. To show you that Jesus, you can study it later, that Jesus mirrored it perfectly. You know, remember I I just told you that Israel was called the firstborn, right? Uh, The son of God, right? Do you know that the nation of Israel, right, and Jesus, there's a similarity between them. I'll tell you, I'll give you a clue. When Israel came out from Egypt, where did they go? They went to the wilderness. When Jesus started his ministry, or he was about to start his ministry, where did he go? He's mirroring it. Why why is he mirroring? The mirroring is to show you that he's mirroring the uniqueness Right? Of sons. Are you following? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Okay. So, now, where Israel, where Israel, were they tempted? Now, 
when they were tempted, did Israel fail? When Jesus was tempted, did he fail? Are you seeing it? So, where, where they failed, he begins to correct it. Now, he's doing that so that the other seeds will come out perfect. Are you following that? They will come out as the perfect representations of the work of God on the earth. Are you getting this? Are you sure? Is it, is it, is it doing like this? Is it doing like this? It's going like it's doing like this or like this? Like this. Okay. So. So, Jesus, therefore, so write this down. Jesus bears the sufferings, the weakness, right? He bears the sufferings, the weakness. He will also take on the ministry, the ministries. Let me say it again. Jesus bears the sufferings, the weakness, and takes on their ministries. And he will fulfill their ministry even where they failed. Amen? Israel was called God's firstborn. In case you don't understand what, we have, what I just said in the last few minutes. Israel was called God's firstborn. They were called God's sons. When God called them out of Egypt, God designed them that they should be kings and priests. For what purpose? To just be singing and dancing? No. Kings and priests to minister to the nations of the earth. Isn't it? Right? So, it means that and when God, when they were tempted, did they fall? Did they reject the promise of God? So, God comes himself and takes on that commission that he gives man and puts it upon himself. Right? He will take on the weakness of man. He will take on the sufferings of man. He will take on the ministry and do it and fulfill it. To what end? To the end that those who will come from him, right, would also mirror that. They will come out as that perfect representation. Do you get it? Huh? So. So. So the ministry of Jesus. So have, have you seen why he's called the son of God? Good. So, the ministry of Jesus is such that it, it, it carries, it carries God's mission or heaven's mission on the earth. Write this one down. You may not agree, but it's the truth. God is not interested in anything that is happening in heaven. He's interested in what is happening here. The earth is his temple. The earth is his temple. God wants to stay here. God wants to stay here. So Jesus is unique. So now, when we say he's unique, have we denied or established that he is God? Which one have we done? We've established, right? Good. We've established that. So, now, so, he becomes a son, right? God became a man, right? So every time you hear son of God, as a believer, your mind is not going to reproduction. 
You understand? Your mind is going to the incarnation. Incarnation means God changed states. He moved from deity into humanity. He became a man. Do you understand? That's what is called son of God. Amen? Okay. So, so now in the resurrection, he is giving another name. Hmm? In the resurrection, he is giving another name. He is no more monogenes. You know, he's monogenes because he's unique from those other ones. But in the resurrection, he is giving another name. He is called first begotten. He is called first begotten. What does first begotten means? First begotten means that it will bring many sons into glory. Amen? Amen? It will bring many sons into glory. I taught you first begotten in the last year catechismus. You can't remember. So, Praise God. He will bring many sons after his kind. So, let's see a text of that in case you don't. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Let's start from verse 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the sufferings of death crowned with glory and honor that he, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. In what? In bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through what? Through suffering. So, in other words, in the resurrection of Jesus, there were many sons, many representations, many anointed, many ordained, many who had the ministry of God's spirit, many who have been called prophets, many who are priests, many who are kings. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, by the resurrection of Christ, we received... Amen. We received an office, a position. We received what? An office and a position. I want to share something with you quickly. In Matthew chapter 9, do you notice what Jesus is called? In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus said, looked at the multitude and says, the harvest is what? Plenty. But the what? Laborers are few. He now says, pray. He that what? The Lord of the harvest. You see, that statement is so unique that why is God, or Jesus himself, called himself that, why is he called the Lord of the harvest? Let's ask this question. Who are the harvest? Men, souls, right? People that are not born again most times, isn't it? But Jesus is called the Lord of the harvest. What that means is that 
since he is called the Lord of the harvest, it means the harvest, right, has already been ripe enough. It just needs to be plucked. It means that by the resurrection of Jesus, Satan has no hold over the soul of man. That's why he's Lord. Do you understand? See, the preaching of the gospel has become an easy walk. It has become an easy walk. Jesus is called the Lord over unregenerated men. Unregenerated men. In other words, what God sees about the unregenerated man is that that man is a potential saint. So there is no such thing as when I preach, they don't listen. No! Satan no longer has the hold over man's soul. He has destroyed the works of Satan. That's why he's called the Lord. That's why he's called the Lord. So you cannot look at the world where everybody is talking about sin. What you must see as one who came from the Lord is that this is the harvest. This is the harvest. That's what you must see. That is the harvest of God. And I am a laborer. Isn't it? So God is not calling us to start going to plant and say, let us pray. So that um, the, is what the prayer was to pray for laborers, not to pray for the harvest. <laughs> it's to pray for men to go to the harvest. In other words, you know, harvest means something is ripe. Abby, you are not waiting. So, you will go into the, the, the field is the world, right? And you will go and take men. Are you understanding what I'm talking about? So that's why he's called the Lord of the harvest. The glory of the father. The glory of the father is the multiplications of sons on the earth. Hallelujah. Do you understand what we're talking about? So, when you go into the work of the ministry, there's no such thing as, ah, I don't have men. No, no, but, no, there's no such thing. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of what? The harvest. Amen. Amen. So, even to the unregenerated, in the unregenerated world, as victory be accomplished, has victory been? Yes! Victory has been. See, Satan or the devil is fighting a useless war. He's fighting a useless war. Jesus has disarmed principalities and powers. He has made an open show of them, triumphing over them in it. He has disarmed them. So, we walk in the victory of Christ. How? By the preaching of the gospel. So, when the gospel on my own lips, you should say it to yourself, the gospel on my own lips is the power of God to save. The power of God to save. I remember T.L. Osborne. T.L. Osborne used to say one confession. I will never forget that confession. He used to say, look, I know 
Now, when I stand on the street, men will hear. When I stand in the car, men will hear. When I stand in the market, men will hear and be saved. No such thing as they may not hear me. You are, you are, you are not walking in the Lord of the harvest. Look at, I, I think it's in John, John 9 or John 6. I think it's, more, it's not John 6, John 9. Jesus looked, right, at the field. He says, look at the field. For the harvest is what? Is ripe. Is ready. Are you getting this? Hallelujah. So, are you seeing that in Christ, we have been called. We have been called into the place of the supernatural. Write this down. The church of Jesus Christ is a supernatural people. The church of Jesus Christ is a supernatural people. We have a supernatural responsibility. The church of Jesus Christ is a supernatural people. We have a supernatural responsibility. What does that mean also? We have a supernatural focus. The church of Jesus Christ is, superna is supernatural people. A supernatural responsibility. A supernatural focus. We have a supernatural duty. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So, what, does that, what, what is this conference teaching you so far? This conference is teaching you how to live and walk in the supernatural. I'll say that again. This conference is teaching you how to live and walk in the supernatural every day. When the pastors will say, study, pray, be diligent, that is the supernatural life. That's the supernatural life. You study, you pray, you give yourself. It is the supernatural life. Amen? Amen? Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. Go there. Now, <clears throat> Matthew 16, sorry, I'm not there yet. So, verse 17 says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood are not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. My father, which is in heaven. My father, which is in heaven. Now, in verse 18, he now says, And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. Now, I, I, want, to examine, I want us to examine something again on this monogenes before we look at uh, what does it mean to say the gate of hell will not prevail against it? What does that mean? Let us go to John 1. Apparently, uh, what's that? Time? 
John 1. Apparently, I just started today's teaching. Anyway. I just finished yesterday. So, so John 1. So I'm trying to enter into today's teaching. So, John 1. I realized that I talked about it the next day. John 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. I just want to show, ask a question here. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So, yeah, I, I wrote in my note here, when he says, all things were made by him. All things were made by him. Now, that word, when he says, now, who is he talking about here? Jesus. Very good. Jesus. When he says, all things were made by him, when he uses the word logos, that's the word word there, logos. Logos. Now, now, remember, I don't know if I said this, but I'm, I'm going to show you two texts if I didn't say it. Remember that the, the synoptic account is an, is also teaching from the text of the Old Testament. Right? Remember that? It's teaching from the Old, of te Old Testament. Now, John says, by John saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's Genesis chapter 1, right? Right? That's Genesis chapter 1. Now, let me just show you one again in Mark. Go to Mark chapter 1. Mark 1. Let's just see something in Mark. In Mark, in Mark 1. So, why, why am I doing this right now? I'm showing that in John 1, the, the way they introduced their synoptic writings, that they're telling you that if you are about to read my synoptic writing, know that I am speaking from Genesis to Malachi, right? So I want to show you that, apart, I think it's apart from Luke that did not do it, because Luke is writing to somebody. Do you understand? So Luke is a bit different. Now, in Matthew 1, Matthew says, this is the book of the generation. Right? So, which I told you that generation is genos, genosis, which means it's speaking from Genesis, right? So, let, let me show you Mark. Mark 1. So, oh, very good. Look at, you can look at it here. It says, the beginning of the gospel of what? Of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 2. See it now. As where? As where? Is written in the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before the face, which, will, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So, when he says the beginning, the beginning there is Genesis. Then Mark now introduced prophets. So, it should show you that what, he, what he's about to write about Jesus is beginning from Genesis into Malachi. Are you seeing that? So, that's the, their introduction. So, that means, again, remember, the background of the four Gospels is what? Thank you, prophet. Oh, that day my voice went to. The background of the prophet is what? The background of Exodus is what? Genesis. But you're also right, child. In other words, the law and the prophet. <laughs> Okay. So, so, what I'm showing you is that, what, what, was, what this means is that the theology of God, please write this down, that the theology of God is from the Old Testament. The theology of God is from the Old Testament. The synoptic writers 
are relating Jesus from the beginning. That is Genesis. The synoptic writers are relating Jesus from the beginning. So just like Mark, just like Matthew, John is doing the same thing. So he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So John uses a word called logos. What does logos mean? Logos means a thought. Logos means a thought, a subject matter, or a submission of thinking. You know, some people used to say, what you are talking about is the logos of the word. There's the rema. There's the rema. Give me the rema. Okay. What is the rema? The rema is the logos in you when you are, when you are, that's not it. Rema is not, um, I don't even know. Whatever you think rema is, is not it. So, Logos is a summation of thinking. Now, Logos is from the word Logi. That's where it is from. Logi. Logos, you know, like when you say biology, right? Huh? Biology. Uh, what other logic do we need? Huh? Theology. I, think I wanted you to mention something else. About, huh? <laughs> Don't mention Bible logis. Physiology. Thank you, sir. Psychology. So, so and um, it, it, that, those logies, they are talking about study, right? So when you say biology, you say like the study of um, bio, right? What is what is bio? What does bio mean? Life. Sorry, of life, human life or any life, any kind of life, any kind of life generally. <laughs> okay. So, so the study of life. So. If logic is from Logos, right, in, in other words, it, it means that John is saying that the, the theology of God, where you're going to know it is from the text of the Old Testament. That's Jesus, that's God's test book too. So, <clears throat> now in the Hebrew, that word Logos in the Hebrew is the word Dabar. D-A-B-B-A-R, Dabar. Dabar. Now, we have already seen it. I've already showed you some of the texts there. In Gen- For example, Genesis 15, where we read, where it says, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Remember, we read it. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. So, that, that's the same phrase there. But I want to show you verse 4 of that Genesis 15. Verse 4. Is where it was used there. It was used in verse 4. It says, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. Came unto him. Now, Dabar, right, is used for interactions, communications. That's what Dabar is used for. Dabar. So, one of the names, one of the names used for God's visible appearance in the Old Testament is the phrase word of the Lord. Is the phrase word of the Lord. Word of the Lord, that phrase, word of the Lord, is, is used for things that are seen. 
things that are seen. The things that are seen. An example that we read, I didn't really explain it, but an example that I gave is when God called Samuel, right? And Samuel didn't know who was calling him, right? And when he went to meet Eli. I said, oh, master, did you call me? And when Eli knew, Eli said, when you hear it again, say, Lord, speak. Your servant hear it. So that means Eli knew that that was a person, right? So it's a person. Very important. Eli knew that that was a person. So the word of the Lord is a person. Is a person. Now, <clears throat> so, again, when David said in Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So, remember, a shepherd is somebody that serves, right? So, remember we said that when we, God is also called a servant, right? Amen? God is also a servant, right? He is. Praise God. God is also a servant. And we saw it yet, I think yesterday that we saw it from when we saw the angel of the Lord, right? Amen? He's a servant. So when he says again, when he says again, God, when he says the Lord is my shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd is an earthly function. Shepherd is an earthly function. There's no shepherd. There's God, God is not shepherding anything in heaven. I don't know if you... Are there, are there farm in heaven? Is there pastures in heaven? Even those people who went to heaven, they didn't tell you that they are pastures. All they said is mansions and houses. It's strange. That's strange. I just thought about that now. If God is called a shepherd, how come he now has a mansion? I don't... Do you understand? And streets of gold. And he didn't see a ram. You know that one of God's occupation that is a farmer. You don't know. God is a farmer now. You don't know. He's also a carpenter. Amen. I'm not saying you should be a carpenter. You can be anything you want to be anyway. So shepherd is an earthly function. So God, so if God is our shepherd, right? Again, is symbolizing, or rather, it speaks of him being a servant that carries a message. That carries a message. That carries a message. That carries a message. So, <clears throat> now, <clears throat> So this will mean that the person of the Lord, the person of the Lord is active and present throughout Old Testament events, throughout Old Testament um, experiences. Now, in Act 9, something happened to Paul in Act chapter 9. Now, you know, Paul is a Pharisee, right? Or he was a Pharisee, either way. 
uh, it means that you will be learned in Genesis to Malachi, right? You'll be very learned in Genesis to Malachi. So something happened to him, and I want you to just notice, I want to draw out an example again to lay to the fact that what we see as the word of the Lord in Genesis to Malachi is a person, right? So you see what Paul did. I just want to show you through this example. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 5. Acts chapter 9, verse 5. Let's read from verse 4. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecuted thou me? And he said, Who art thou what? Lord. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So, Paul says, who art thou, Lord? Who art thou, Lord? Is there somebody like that in the Old Testament that saw something unique? Huh? What is oh, good. Okay. I thought you said the answer. I wanted to say it out. Now, somebody unique that saw something unique and says and asks who are thou, right? And the Lord now said, or the voice said, I am that I am, right? That's Moses, isn't it? Very good. So this is also a semblance of the communication of the burning bush, right? And what Paul is saying here. So Jesus, in Exodus 3, if you want a, a scripture and verse for that, in Exodus 3, verse 13, Moses asked, what is your name, right? And God answered and said, I am that I am, isn't it? Exodus 3, 13. What is your name? And he says, I am that I am. So, in other words, Paul too will ask the same and say, hey, who are you, isn't it? Now, in other words, it means that Paul himself is cooperating with the materials that he is conversant with. Because if he, if he responds just like Moses, that means he's cooperating with it. Jonathan, because he's learned. He may not be saved as at this point, right? But he knows what happened to Moses, isn't it? Okay? So, so notice also, Jesus answered like how he would answer Moses. Huh? Jesus told Paul, he said, I am Yeshua. Right? Jesus. How did he answer Moses? I am that I am. Same thing. Same thing. So the same response he gave to Moses is the same response he gave to Paul. Let me give you quick, 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 quick. Someone is Debating with you. I said, Jesus is not God. Jesus is not God. Just take him to Act 9 and tell him to read it. It's the same thing. The same action. The same expression. That's why I told you that the deity of God, right? You don't need so much to prove. Everything that God said in the Old Testament, when he became a man, he said it too. No other prophet did that. Do you get it? John the Baptist could not say what God said. When Jesus came, he said it. Do you understand? So even the words of the Christ 
will let you know that this is deity talking. Are you following? Huh? So, <clears throat> so. Now, do you know, you know, we know that Jesus used the word I am so many times, right? Say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world, right? Says that many times. Says that many times. When the soldiers came to arrest him, right? He said, who is Jesus? What did he say? He said, I am. And what happened? The power of God came and they fell. That's God. Amen? That's God. So, Jesus made the same declarations that the God of the Old Testament made. Same thing. Making him the same. Making him the same. So, the word of the Lord in Genesis to Malachi that we read, right? The word of the Lord in Genesis to Malachi that we read has appeared as a man in John 1, 14 to 18. The word of the Lord that we read in Genesis to Malachi has appeared as a man in John 1, 14 to 18. The word of the Lord is the personal revelation of God. He himself explains himself. So when he says, no man has seen God at any time, he's talking about how God appeared as a man to explain himself. He's talking about how God appeared as a man to explain himself. So Jesus is an active participant of the Old Testament. He is the son of God. He has an excellent name, an excellent image. Praise God. Praise God. So, so who led the children of Israelites out of Egypt? Huh? Who? Jesus. Huh? Jesus was the one that led them out. Jesus was the one that led them out. So, so, did Jesus that appeared in the New Testament, is he contradictory to the God of the Old Testament? No. Same person. Same person. Same person. Now, remember when we talked about codified language, right? Codified language. Let me show you the answer that all of us just gave, right? That Jesus was the one that led the children of Israelites out of the wilderness. Let's, let's see how to explain that in a codified form. You want to see that? Let's see that so that you'll be able to explain it. Let's see that. You don't say, ah, we already know now. No. How do you know? Let's see that. Romans 9. I'm sorry. Romans 8, not 9. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So, now what is a codified language again? A codified language is when you use short phrases, paragraphs, to summarize an old book, right, of series of events, right? So, a word in the epistle, right? A word in the epistle can lead to a series of stories or events of stories, right? 
Just the word. Now, so let us look at Romans 8, 14. Let's look at that one. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. He says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The word led in the Greek is the word ago, A-G-O, A-G-O. It means to be carried, literally, to carry somebody. Like maybe like the way a woman backs a baby, right? Carry. That's, it's not, it, doesn't just, it doesn't mean maybe somebody holds you by the hand. It means more than that. The person actually carries you. So, now, the Greek rendering, please pay attention. The Greek rendering of this word in the Hebrew Bible is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. The Greek rendering of the Hebrew word of this Bible is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 14. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 14. Ah, okay, got it. He says, Then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget. No, 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 no. Sorry, not 14. Sorry, sorry. Not 14. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Not 14, I'm sorry. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. So he says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall he observe to do. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land with the Lord swear unto thy fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God did what? Led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. In the wilderness. So, he says, when God said to Israel, I will lead you in the wilderness. So in Romans, and that's the same word, right? That's the same word in Romans 8.14, the same word. So Paul is reading the story of the church. How the church came from the flesh into the spirit, right? And he uses the story of Israel. How they came from Egypt into God's promised land. So who did that leading? God. His spirit. Are you following? So, so when Paul says, as many as are led by the spirit are sons of God. We should ask this question. Was Israel led by the spirit? Yes. Yes. It's the hand of God. The deliverance hand of God that delivered them from Egypt. That's God's spirit. That's God himself. Now, when Israel were led out of Egypt, were they not to be led to be called his sons? Right? Good. So, in other words, Paul interpreted the leading of Israel from Egypt to the promised land as how God led us from the flesh to the spirit. 
So what is the... So listen now. When you read Exodus, what will you call the promised land? Canaan or the spirit? Eh? The spirit. You will call Canaan the spirit. So, Paul now says in verse 15. Paul now says in verse 15. Romans 8, 15. We have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Where is bondage? Egypt. Bondage is in Egypt. The children of Israel were in Egypt. So he says, we have not received the spirit of bondage. Now, he says, but we have received the spirit of adoption. What does adoption mean? Adoption is, means that God has named you his son. That's what it means. God has named you his son. Verse 16. He says, for the spirit. Bear it witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with, that we may also be glorified together. So, so in other words, God called Israel, right? Called them out to inherit. In, inherit. All these are codified language of something that happened in different, I mean, sorry, in multiple of years. Are you following? They are codified language that happened in different multiples of years. So, the word led of the, by the spirit, spirit of adoption are codified words. They are codified words. They are codified words. Now, what is the challenge of codified of, of, of the epistles in codified words? One of the challenges we face in reading is the challenge of time, the timeline, audience, and languages. The challenge in reading even the Old Testament and the New Testament of this codified word, we have time, audience, and languages. Now, let me show you something. Look at how Look at how we just showed us. I just showed you guys Romans, right? 8, 14, and, and Genesis. I mean, sorry, Deuteronomy. And we just connected it to say that spirit is, right? The promised land. Bondage is Egypt. Flesh is Egypt. Now, how were we able to do that? We read those two pages together, right? We read them to what? together. In other words, that means that the Old Testament leads to the New Testament. The New Testament takes us back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament leads to the New Testament. The New Testament takes us back to the Old Testament. So, the challenge we're having in trying to merge both books, both books together will be the challenge of time, like I said earlier, Audience and what language? For example, Moses, I can tell you that Moses did not prophesy that there will be an English language. He didn't prophesy it. He didn't even know that there will be anything. And his audience, 
Neither they were too rebellious to think that there will be a language in English. Amen. Praise God. So, in other words, this may be scary, but it's the truth. The writers of the Bible did not have you in mind. They don't they didn't have us in mind. He couldn't have been thinking about you when he's writing about the promise of God now. He's, he's his audience. Amen? Amen? He's the same thing, even in the epistles. When Paul said, greet Phoebe. Do you know Phoebe? Do you know Phoebe? You don't know her. She doesn't know you. Paul doesn't even know any of us. You don't know? <laughs> so that means they didn't have us in mind, but God had us in mind, you know? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. So, so the challenge must, the challenge will be that in our approach to the reading, therefore, we must think like the audiences, both in Israel and in Rome. We must think like the audience, both in Israel and, for example, in Rome. In Rome. So, now, um, is that my real time? <laughs> oh, do add Okay. So, uh, thank you very much. Don't worry. <laughs> so, don't worry. There's no problem. So, <clears throat> so, so the challenge will be that we must begin to think like the writer of the of um uh, the writers we must begin to think like how the writer taught and his audience right remember there's a statement i said in the last two days that we must sit where they sat right we must sit where they sat to know what each of the writer is saying okay now i want to introduce now i'm saying all this to introduce another biblical tool of interpretation Another biblical tool of interpretation. So, for us to be able to sit where they sat, right? For us to be able to sit where they sat, we would have to apply this biblical tool via interpretation. That is, for example, for us to cross the barrier of audience, because we're not, we're not the audience. For us to cross the barrier of time, right? And even language, right, would use this biblical interpretation to call a motif, not motive, a motif, M-O-T-I-F. A motif is a literary, it's not biblical, it's just, it's, it's the writers that use it, right? A motif. Now, now, <clears throat> So, what is a motif? M-O-T-I-F. What is a motif? A motif is a dominant theme or emphasis of a book. Now, uh, if, if you take a book, any book, when you read through the book, you'll find out that the author is emphasizing on something, right? And throughout the book, and the way we do it, some very creative authors, for you to 
for, uh, for you to make the book very interesting for you. They may change the words. So you'll be like, okay, just to make the book exciting when you're reading like all these fictional books. They may change the words, but it's still the same thing. A dominant expression. So the Bible, right, has such recurring theme and emphasis. There's a recurring theme. There's a recurring theme that they want to talk about. So, for example, let's let's. I'm going to close because I I, I don't want talking to motive because of the time is short. So, next session we're talking to motive. Trust God that way. It will it will help us. Now, for example, let me give you an example. Like uh, you, somebody wants to somebody wants to write a movie, and maybe the movie is about um, grass to grace, for example. So you know, maybe the first scene is that it shows the person going to looking for job. He gets there, they say, ah, we just accepted another person. So they now show another scene. Maybe the person is an houseboy, and he now does something for his ogre. That's his boss. For those who don't know what ogre is, his master. So the master now says, don't worry, don't worry, I will give you a contract, right? So the day of the contract, the master now died. Have you seen the thing? It's happening, right? He's trying to tell you that before he gets to that grace, if he, 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 he face difficult challenge. So the, the writer is keeping you abreast with the fact that I want you to notice what is playing out in each scenario, right? Right? Okay. So that is what a motif looks like, right? So everything will be around that theme of that movie, Grass to Grace, right? So there will be examples, there will be illustrations, right? So that means that as you are writing, if you are the writer, there will be a dominant theme surrounding that person's story, right? That person's story. So, so for example, in the scriptures, right, we did not hear anything. Let's just, let me give an example. We did not hear anything about Jesus going to the restroom. You know, we didn't, there's nothing like that. Why? It's not the dominant thing. It's not, there's no, there's no, just like somebody will say, the Bible is not complete. Where is Cain's wife? What's your business? If you know Cain's wife, what do you want to do with her? What, what, what do you want? Say, the Bible, Cain's wife is irrelevant to the story. And besides, it's a patriarchal system back then. Okay? Women were not really giving mention. Don't blame God. That is the society of that day. If God had come, to me, if, if it was our time, probably would have um, women authors in the Bible. Yes. Who have it? Maybe the reformers will not agree, sir, but <laughs> but, you know, who they may be. You know, amen. I believe, I, I, this is my own, I don't, don't quote me who don't quote me. I believe that the writer of Hebrew is possibly a woman. Don't quote. There's no, if there was, there's no scripture and verse for it. I just think so. Because I don't think it can be Paul. But I think that that person was a disciple of Paul. But I think she's a woman. Hmm? <laughs> 
But because of, of what happened in those days, you understand? He should not put a name or something. I don't know. That one, I don't know. There's no motif there. <laughs> it's just my idea. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So we'll continue. Oh, my time's up. So we'll continue about motive. Are you blessed? All right. Let's just give God praise and thank you.